Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. We believe that God has perfectly revealed Himself through Scripture alone, and that salvation comes by grace alone, from faith alone in Christ alone, and that everything is for the glory of God alone. So as we study God's unchanging, inerrant Word together, ask God to open your eyes, to open your eyes to see yourself and your own sin clearly. Open your eyes to see Jesus clearly, and pray that God would give you the grace to repent, to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at edenworshipcenter.co. Well, turn with me, if you would, back to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, we're going to be going verse by verse, and if you're visiting with us, one of the things that we do here at this church is we teach verse by verse through the Word of God. It keeps us from a couple things. It keeps us from uh, the cheerleader sermons that you so often hear, which is, uh, let's, let's give the rah-rah session, let's get everybody stirred up so we can get as many people in as we can, as if the full church is the uh, measure of success. When I think churches across America are filled with people who maybe profess one thing when they're in the doors on a Sunday morning and their lives reflect a very different thing when they're outside. Our goal here at Eden Worship Center is that our hearts and lives would be transformed by the Word of God. That God's Word would do His work in His people. And so we're going to teach verse by verse um, through this today, starting in verse 22, going to verse 35. In the background... If you're just joining us, or if you're like me and you've been gone for the last month, uh, the background is we're, we're in the book of Acts, and so Jesus has died, he's been resurrected, taken up into heaven, and the apostles, who are mostly Jewish men, have preached the good news about Jesus mostly to Jewish men. And it, it's been Jewish men and women who have been getting saved, and now we're about midway through this book. And the Apostle Paul, who most of us have heard of, has taken this good news to Gentiles. So look at the person next to you, just real quick, and go, that's you. Right? As long as you weren't born a Jew, uh, you're a Gentile. You are outside of the Jewish faith. And for the first time, this, this b- belief in salvation in Christ has gone to Gentiles, and the Jewish people aren't exactly sure what to do about it, and the Gentiles aren't either. And so they've had this council where they're writing this letter. They're basically saying, how are these two churches of Jewish and Gentiles going to get along? How are we going to coexist? So that's, that's kind of the background to where we're going to pick it up in verse 22, where it says, It seemed good to the apostles, to the elders, to the whole church, that they choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Bersabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, in Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. Now I want to hit pause for just a second. We're going to pick it up in just a little bit. But I want to, I want to point out just a couple things that are in here. Number one, Who's he talking about when he says apostles and elders? Uh, the apostles were those who had walked with Jesus, right? So the time frame that this is happening is the people who had walked with Jesus in his life and his ministry are still alive. 
So uh, apostles is a little bit different than today when you see somebody taking the term apostle and sticking it on the front of their name. These were actually the apostles, the men who had walked with Jesus since the beginning of his ministry. They were eyewitnesses. This is known as the apostolic age. This is during the age of the apostles. This is a period of time where they are proclaiming the good news and basically what, what they are saying, that the stories that they are telling of Jesus and the good news of salvation through him will be written down for us in the New Testament. So we don't actually have apostles walking around today saying, by the way, this is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus told me to tell you. We have that recorded for us in the Bible, which is why we encourage you, even though we put the verses up on the screen, bring your Bible with you to church. It is the testimony of the apostles that we have. And through the centuries, men and women have died that you might hold that Bible in your hand. It is a precious, precious thing that we have the Word of God. So it says the apostles, uh, but it's also the elders. So the apostles start off as the leader of this brand new church. Uh, as Jesus is taken up into heaven, uh, this new church, that, and church just means gathering. So these gathering of believers, the apostles are over, but then the church is growing, and so they start establishing elders. Men who would take the responsibility for governing each local church. So at this church, we have uh, elders. We have a handful of guys who it is their responsibility to oversee uh, doctrinally what we're teaching, spiritually, emotionally, how the congregation is doing. Uh, men who've been given responsibility to oversee uh, the individual church. And then he mentions a third thing. He said, seem good to the apostles, to the elders, and to the whole church. So a lot of times, it can be easy when we come to church to go, well, that stuff's somebody else's responsibility. I, I, I'm not that spirit. Anybody ever thought this before? I'm not that spiritual. Like, I, you know, somebody else, they're way better than me. Except one of the things that we see here is you have the apostles, those who've been set to establish the church weighing in. You have the elders who are over the local church. And then it says, and to the whole church. The whole church are the members of the local congregation. Uh, if you read Acts, just make a note of it. We're not going to take time to look at it. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says that they had submitted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they are under the teaching of the apostles, which we now have recorded in the Scripture. Uh, another verse to write down, Hebrews 13, verse 17, <coughs> says that they were submitted to the elders' authority. So they're under the teaching of God's Word, under the teaching of the apostles, and they're under the authority of the elders submitting to that in the local congregation. And then one more verse, uh, if you're taking notes, just to jot down, 2 Corinthians 2, 6. And uh, we're not going to take time to read it, but the overview is there's somebody in the local church, uh, and if you read the, the letters to the church in Corinth, they were infamous for this, who had fallen into some sort of egregious sin. And the church together <coughs> brings this person before the congregation calls them to repentance, calls them to faith in Christ, and if not, calls them to be separated from the church. And one of the interesting phrases in there, it says it's by the majority. So on some level, there was a vote system that happened. So we as members of the congregation have a voice in that as well. There's going to be a lot of coughing. So if you don't usually pray for your pastor as he preaches, this would be a good morning to take that up. Uh, just one little historical note, just an interesting thing to think about. Uh, this council is happening in Jerusalem. This letter is coming from Jerusalem, and 
Peter is there, but the proverbial head of the table is not Peter, it's actually James. James is the one who's making the decisions of, okay, this is what we're going to do. Peter weighs in. Uh, it's just interesting that it's James and not Peter. But what's, why do they write this letter to begin with? What, what's going on? Uh, let me put it in modern terms for you. I think it might help. Have you ever been talking to someone from outside of your church or maybe been inviting someone from the outside to come visit your church and then they end up talking to someone who's from your church, only it's the crazy person, right? Every church has a handful of us, right? The crazy one who, as soon as this person that you're talking to, you're encouraging, runs into this person, you're like, oh no, what are they going to say? Yeah, Chuck, it's all right. We love you, you know. It is what it is. Uh, nowadays, we, we usually chalk those things up to like, you know what? I apologize. This person spends way too much time on the internet. A generation ago, uh, it was funny, it, now we're, we're like, they're overexposed, you know, there's nothing we can do. A generation ago, we, we said the opposite, dude, they're totally sheltered, they don't get out much, I apologize, right? So it, it kind of has swung, this isn't a new dilemma, uh, maybe you're going to end up in conversations, I frequently have this, where you're like, wait, what TV preacher have you been listening to? Oh, no. That's not good. Uh, it should be good news for us that this is not a new problem. That's why they're writing this letter. Somebody, a crazy from the Jewish church in Jerusalem, has gone to the Gentiles and said, oh, by the way, now they weren't authorized. They weren't supposed to be speaking for the church, but they're saying, if you want to be Christians, this is how you have to live. And they're, they're called Judaizers. Uh, it's a legalistic Jewish believer who wanted everyone to follow the Jewish law. It's going to be a miracle if we make it through this. So uh, they're telling the Gentiles you have to be circumcised. That, that was the Old Testament uh, covenant imaging that you're part of God's people. Now, <coughs> we hear this today. <laughs> this thought just cracks me up. <laughs> and we, we read it as if it's just part of the, the Bible. Like, oh yeah, yeah, circumcised. Yeah, no, no, no big deal. Imagine if you came to visit Eden Worship Center and the EWC circumcision committee greeted you at the door. Right? Like, this is how we tell. This is how we tell if you're a believer or you're not a believer. And then someone escorts you to the bathroom. This is horrifying. It, oh, it should be. All right. Maybe, maybe it's the amount of medication that I'm on. But having a welcoming circumcision committee, this is absurd. This is ridiculous. This is exactly what these Judaizers were saying to this church. If you want to be part of us, we got some business to do. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. Uh, so James, who is the leader of the church in Jerusalem, comes up with a middle road here. A middle road that will appease some of the Jewish members of the community, but also not alienate all the Gentiles, like I think circumcision would have. Uh, it also was a problem because... In the Jewish faith, your hope was in the fact that you were a Jew, that you were born into a Jewish family, that you were circumcised, you'd done all the right things, and then along comes Jesus who says, all of those works are nothing. In fact, Paul's going to say, if you accept circumcision, Christ is nothing to you. You have invalidated the work of the cross. That's why legalism today is 
deadly in the church. When we have a list of things that we have to do to earn our salvation, that is not Christianity. Okay, good. Like I was worried I was in the wrong church just for a second. That is not Christianity. Uh, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen. That's right. Uh, it's a little confusing because uh, we're not used to being around Jewish believers. So these first century Jews who'd walked with Jesus, these apostles, these elders, are all Jewish men who did not cease to be Jewish men when they became Christians. In fact, James is a great example. When he dies, uh, Josephus, an ancient Jewish historian, and Eusebius, an early church father, will both write about at his death when he is martyred that the non-believing Jews actually commended him for how he kept the law. How he continued to keep the Jewish law, here's what changed. His hope was not anymore anchored in the Jewish law. It was anchored in Christ. So we can, we can have brothers and sisters who are involved in things that we look at as super legalistic, and we need to consistently be calling them to faith in Christ. The legalism isn't actually what's dangerous. It's when you put your hope in the law to save you. Right? That, that's where the change has come. By the way, if you miss that, you're going to miss the entire point of this letter. The whole point of this letter is how are we going to put our faith and our hope in Christ and as two really different culturally uh, diverse people get along. If we forget that, uh, we're going to think like many have. I, I just did a, a brief uh, online search and found so many churches. Did, did you notice one of the requirements in this letter was not to eat meat with blood in it? Now, most of us don't think about that when it comes to like lunch, dinner, uh, unless it's like turkey, which I was making yesterday, and then I'm like, we're going to want to make sure that's gone, right? Uh, but anybody else in here really like rare steak, medium rare? Yeah, the way God intended. Yeah, not like burned and destroyed like some of you crazy people, right? But there's, there's websites out there telling you how Christians should never eat anything but well-done meat because they've missed the point of what was happening here. This is a cultural conversation, how we're going to get along. And it, we'll get to this in just a little bit. Look at verse 24. He uses this word, some have come, these Judaizers, and they are troubling you. The, the word troubling that you see there in verse 24 actually is the word plundering or tearing down. It's a military metaphor that he uses here that has to do with plundering or looting a city. So you have... You have become these new baby Christians and someone has come and put these laws and requirements on you that now you have to do this if you're going to earn your way to heaven. And he says, it is like an invading army that is plundering, tearing down your city. And I, I love that it's listed like this because the leaders in Jerusalem, the leaders of this new church are clearly unhappy that they have spoken like this. These people have come claiming to speak for the church, but they do not. I also love it if you look back, we're not going to take time to read it, but if you look back at the beginning of Acts chapter 15, verse 2, we're told that Paul and Barnabas had, it says, no small dissension and debate with them. So the people who are making this argument, Paul and Barnabas literally get in their face. It's not just a debate, it's a dissension. Now most of the time when we think about church and how church people should get along, somebody gets a little bit upset and we're like, hey, I thought you were a Christian. Paul and Barnabas got upset with them. In fact, to the, the point it's described 
as dissension. And here's, here's the reason. This is one of the notes you find in your bulletin. There are some things, especially the gospel, that are worth fighting for. There are some things, especially the gospel, I think we have a slide for this one, that are worth fighting for. If we forget that, then we're just going to be trying to make peace with everyone around us, forgetting that there are things that are true that are worth fighting and dying for. And there are other things that are secondary issues, third issues, that are actually not a big deal when it comes to Christian belief. So you can have one church that believes this and one church that believes that. What we can get along with is a whole bunch until it comes to the gospel. If we start to compromise what it means to be saved through faith, through Christ alone, anything else is actually worth dividing over. Anything that undermines the Word of God is actually worth splitting over. So the Jewish church says we have to address this. That we can't let this go. We have to write a letter. In fact, we're not just going to leave it to the letter. We're going to send guys along to make sure that they understand what's being sent to them. Look at verse 25. And it seemed good to us, having come to one accord. Now remember, the church has had different factions that are kind of pushing for what should it look like for these Gentile believers to interact with us. It says they came to one accord. By the way, that's a hallmark of the church. That Christians should be able to agree on the gospel. When we find where we are separating one from another on issues that are not of the gospel, that's usually because selfish arrogance, unrepentance has crept in. But it says they were in one accord to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same thing by the word of mouth. So they, they've come to this understanding, even, think about this, even the people who would kind of got swept up into the Judaizer crowd. Even those who, when the Judaizers were talking to all these Jewish men who kept the law, and yeah, that kind of sounds like a good idea. Well, before they know it, they've, they've started to cross lines that trample on salvation through Christ alone. And as they come back to that, they've come to one accord. It, this is what John Wimber, who started the Vineyard Movement, described as the main and the plain. We as Christians should have a consensus across all that are true churches of Christ, the main and the plain. What, what are the main things, what are the plain things of salvation through Christ alone? So as they send this letter, Paul and Barnabas are clearly going. They're clearly, they're the ones who have planted the seed of the gospel with the Gentiles. But they also send two other people, people who are described as leaders, verse 22 tells us. One guy whose name is Judas. Now, it's not Judas who betrayed Jesus. It's this Judas who's also called Bersabbas. Uh, Bersabbas uh, just means born on the Sabbath. So, we, we literally know nothing else about this guy. We, we don't know. Uh, there's lots of speculation about who he is, but we don't know anything else about him. And another guy named Silas. Silas is a shorthand, uh, shorter version of the Greek name Silvanius. And this guy we actually have lots of New Testament record about. So he's one of the, the men. He's described as a prophet. Uh, he's also uh, trusted to explain. He's a leader. Uh, what is going on in this letter? Uh, he's probably the Silvanius who was Peter's amanuensis. In, in 1 Peter 5.12, Peter tells us that Silvanius is actually the guy writing down the letter that Peter is dictating. Uh, probably the same uh, Silas. Uh, he is 
definitely seems to be the Silvanius Paul mentions as a co-worker in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19, 1 Thessalonians 1, 1, 2 Thessalonians 1, 1, that he's right there alongside of Paul. And we know that he's going to be Paul's uh, partner in mission at the end of this chapter. When Paul and Barnabas are going to split, those of you who've been here for a while, Paul and Barnabas have been this missionary team that have been taking the gospel out. As they split... Barnabas is going to take John Mark with him, and the Apostle Paul is going to take this guy Silas, who's come to deliver this letter with him. Uh, One of the great things about this letter, and just for the sake of time, I'm going to skip over it, but it's written in a a Greek-Roman style that doesn't, doesn't really translate into our English very well, but these Greek believers would have understood exactly what the church was doing. These Jewish believers weren't writing in a Jewish tongue to them. They were actually writing in a language that they would understand, in a style that they would understand. They really were demonstrating, we want unity in the body of Christ. I think that's good because, and I apologize, we don't have time to fill this out too much, but this other church was really different from them. Really different from them. Uh, so much so that it was going to take something significant for the two churches to get along, the Jewish and the Gentile church. Our churches really quickly become really homogeneous. In other words, they're all the same. Really quickly, uh, we're attracted to churches where everyone looks like us. Everyone sounds like us. Everyone tends to like the same things as us, whether it's racial or ethnic or cultural I know people who go to a church because of the style of music that they play. By the way, that that is kind of the opposite of what we find in the gospel. It it takes an act of the will for the church to prefigure what heaven's going to look like. By the way, if you don't know what heaven's going to look like, Revelation 5, 9 says, and they sang a new song, you're worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, because you were slain with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. If you skip ahead to chapter 7, it says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one can count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne, before the Lamb, that Christ has died to call people from every nation and tribe and language. Our churches should therefore reflect that. But it takes a choice. It takes an act of the will, because if we're not intentional about that, our churches tend to look, well, look around. Like this. Now, let me give you a little bit of good news. Uh, We are not joined. Like, if you look around, you're going to find people who don't have the same interests as you. People who aren't uh, into the same hobbies as you. They don't have the same background as you. In fact, they're not even the people that you go, you know, if I had a choice who I was going to hang out with on the weekend to do something fun, it'd be that guy. Our joining one with another is because we have the same Christ who has saved us. And therefore, we are brothers and sisters, not because we all have exactly the same taste in music. Does that make sense, church? It's not because we've all been uh, brought to the same club or group. Look at verse 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden than these requirements. Now, before we jump into this, this has been a problem section for me in Scripture. And I just want to say that this was a really helpful weekend study for me personally. As they're writing, here's the requirements that we're putting on you as this new church. 
Verse 29, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality, that you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. Short letter. Concise. In fact, I think they probably text it to him because it's that, it's that short. Verse 30, so when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Now remember, this is written in the time of the apostolic age. There are apostles who are literally speaking the word of God, who could have said, if you want to be saved, this you must do. You must not eat uh, anything sacrificed to idols, except Paul's going to speak to that later and say an idol is nothing, and so that's actually nothing. Uh, you can't eat anything with blood in it. You can't eat anything that's strangled. Uh, no sexual immorality. These were not given as laws, although sexual immorality, we'll touch on this in a second, is a curveball that confuses us in here because that's part of the moral law of God. Uh, these were actually not laws. They were basis for fellowship. If we're going to get along brother and sister, one with another, what is it going to have to look like between us as brothers and sisters? Now, Paul, who's bearing this letter, was going to be really clear. Galatians chapter 2, verse 6, uh, that nothing was added to the message of salvation. Right? So this isn't in conflict with salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. He's not saying these things add anything to your salvation. Uh, Paul was really clear. No circumcision, no Torah. That was the Old Testament law. No burden was to be put on them. These were a strategy for how Jews and Gentiles were going to get along as brothers and sisters. How, how can people from different cultures coexist? You guys have seen the coexist bumper sticker, right? Uh, which basically says all these different religions, and then the underlying message and the simplicity of that is we're all basically the same. Just don't worry about it. That's not what's being said here. What's being said here is we have huge differences, and so I'm going to defer to your needs and your desires that we can have relationship with each other. The whole language of this uh, is calling for unity in the body of Christ. Uh, Paul, and, and we're just going to just mention this real quickly, uh, if you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians chapter 5-7, through 7, Paul's going to talk about food sacrifice to idols, uh, or that, that's sexual immorality, and then chapters 8-10, through 10, he's going to talk about food sacrifice to idols. He speaks to two of the provisions that are in here. Right, so with food sacrifice to idols, it, he actually says those who are strong uh, can eat the meat, can eat what's been sacrificed to an idol because they know that the idol is nothing. Like it, it, It's not actually a real God. It's not a real deity. But he says there are those who are weak. And if you are around someone who is weak, whose conscience is turned by that, he says you have an obligation not to do that in front of them. Otherwise, he says... Let your own conscience dictate. But outside of that, don't fall into that. Uh, let me give you a, a, just a, a quick modern example. We, we just spent a couple weeks in the Philippines, and we had a conversation with a brother who was really concerned about another brother in Christ. Uh, the other brother was a missionary who was serving there, uh, comes from a bit more of a Reformed tradition, and so uh, he doesn't... Now, God has delivered him greatly from addiction to all kinds of like drugs and things like that. 
but he doesn't have a moral problem with alcohol. And so uh, he's bought alcohol, he's drank alcohol, and this other brother, his conscience isn't bothered, <coughs> this other brother who's coming from a more Pentecostal background looks at that, and he, in fact, he described it like this. He may be a Christian, but he's not a true believer. So how do you, how do you come to a reconciliation when one person says it's fine and this person says you may not even be a Christian if you do this? Well, Paul answered that by saying the one who is strong should defer to the weak. In other words, don't put a stumbling block in front of them because the gospel is our number one priority. He said, I'd rather not eat meat or drink wine or do anything that's going to cause us to be separated uh, from the gospel. So the, the answer was, I'm going to defer to the weaker brother's conscience. That's actually what's being called for here. You Gentiles, you don't keep our laws. You don't keep our traditions. Here's what you, we're going to ask you to do. When you're around us, would you defer to these things? That way it's not an offense when you're with us. That, that we're not having cultural clashes when we should be cooperating for the gospel. By the way, we dare not forget that that is what's going on. That our culturally informed response, and this is a slide for you, are just that. They're culturally informed. In other words, one of the things that has formed you is the way, the culture that you have grown up in. That's a response of obedience to the gospel, but that response earns us nothing when it comes to salvation. What you do, what you say, where you pray earns you nothing before God. Instead, we need to come with our hearts having a worshipful response to the gift of salvation that God gives us. That true freedom from guilt only comes when we recognize the boundless, undeserved love that God has poured out through His Son. That we can never earn it. All of our cultural things that seem so ingrained and so right to us cannot earn our place with God. And here's the next one for you to fill in. Jesus has done enough for God to be pleased with us. This is the best news you've heard today, by the way. Jesus has done enough for God to be pleased with you. If you have put your hope and your faith in Him, if you have not, then this is not true of you. If you said, nope, you know what, I got it myself. I'm a good person. I, I'm going to be good enough. Then God will let you attempt to be good enough. The problem is, all have sinned and fallen short of the grace of God. But Jesus, for those who have trusted in Him, has done enough. Galatians chapter 5, real quickly here. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, do not submit to the yoke of slavery again. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. If we add these other things as if they save us, Christ and His salvation is of no value to us. The problem in the church is that we mostly just look at the externals of what people do. 1 Samuel 16 7 says that men looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And usually what I say after that is because that's all we have. All we have is our ability to look on the outward appearance. I actually, as I was thinking about it this week, think we could do a lot better. <coughs> See, some of those outward appearances are really superficial. Things like smoking and drinking and language, things that tend to stick out really quick to believers. But how about this? How about if we looked a little deeper at the heart at the guy who gets angry or irritated every time he doesn't get his way. 
is that exposing something of his heart that we don't necessarily see on the outside? Yeah, we could look a little different. How about the lady who you can never talk to about her kids without her blowing up? Is that exposing an idol of the heart? Yeah. But see, rather than rooting out some of those heart idols, we get satisfied with just dealing with superficial symptoms. What are the things on the surface? I think as brothers and sisters in Christ, we could do better. This passage is a glimpse. Here's another one to fill in. It's a glimpse into a moment. I really want you to get this, because if we miss this, we're going to misapply this Scripture in our life. It's a moment in a particular circumstance where brothers and sisters in Christ chose to place themselves second and fellowship first. This is the model for the church, by the way, that we choose to place ourselves second, our wants, our desires, that we can put fellowship ahead of what I want. Verse 28, we're not going to take time to dive into this too deep, uh, but it gives a great example of how these decisions should be made. That it seemed good to us that, and to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaking to the heart of the believer, leading the heart of the believer, but it didn't just stop there. It was in agreement with what the apostles had said, that's the Word of God, with the elders and the rest of the church. Christian, we would do good at all times to apply that model. As God stirs your heart, Filter it through the Word of God. Filter it through your leadership. Filter it through other brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a good principle for decision-making. Let's look at the end of this here, verse 32. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. That sounds like a preacher, doesn't it? With many words. (laughs) All right. And after they had spent some time there, they were sent off by the brothers to those who had sent them. And Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Did you guys notice in your Bible that verse 34 was missing? As we read that, went straight from verse 33 to verse 35. It's because there's, verse 34 probably was not actually in the original. Verse 34 says, but it seemed good to Silas to remain there. So they send them off, but it seemed good to Silas to remain there, and they stayed and encouraged them for many days. So what's happening? Uh, I actually wanted to end on this to talk about this because uh, this is one of the really common things that you hear uh, thrown out, that there are certain versions of Scripture that are taking away from God's Word. You you hear this a lot from uh, sort of the King James-only crowd. Uh, What's happened is this, this little side note that was written in by a scribe made itself into uh, what's known as the Textus Receptus. Uh, that was Erasmus's Greek translation in the early 1500s that most of the later translations, Luther's translation, Tyndale, uh, the King James, all those translations that were going to be done the next hundred years were based on the text, oh, it's hard to say when you're in a hurry, Textus Receptus. It means the received text. Now, can I just give us some advice, churches? Would that be all right from a guy whose voice is almost gone? Like, your prayers have been answered. My voice will die. The sermon will end really soon. Uh, <coughs> if you are Erasmus and you're living 1,500 years after Christ walked the earth, you're living 1,000 at least uh, 400 years after most of the New Testament was written down and agreed upon, you probably should not refer to your version of the Scripture that you're writing as the received text from God. That's a mistake. Uh, It's a mistake because it says everything else 
is less than this. This is the received text from God. Well, it took God 1,400 years to get around to sending it. Uh, that's like if you sent a, an email to someone and they took you 1,400 years to respond, you'd be like, seriously. Uh, it, it led to some problems, and in fact, it leads to problems today. There are, there are people uh, who look at, uh, so we'll just pick on the King James Version. Uh, King James is a really good translation, but it has some weaknesses because it's based on the Textus Receptus. So uh, they look at it and they go, there's certain verses in here that your modern, your, your NIV, your ESV are missing today. And then they'll bring out that verse from Revelation, that, that judgment, not to add to or take away from the Word of God. Have you guys heard this before? And what you're doing is you're taking away from the Word of God. Actually, since the 1500s, we have found thousands and thousands of manuscripts that predate the Texas Receptus in 1500, that were written before that came along, and the vast majority of them are missing this verse. And a handful of other verses that your Bible probably has a little asterisk there and then a footnote and the, the things written down below. Uh, so here, here is what I would say. When you look back at the original, uh, have you guys heard this? The Bible's been translated so many times we can't know what it actually says. Anybody heard that? The opposite is true. The Bible has not been translated, it's been scribed. It's been written down by hand. And it got written down by hand so many times that we have thousands and thousands of copies of these different manuscripts so that we know exactly what it said in the original. It has been meticulously copied. So that as we look back, we can say, even though this is maybe a helpful thought of what's going on, that was not in the original. Now, what probably happened was a scribe was trying to answer the question, so Judas and Silas are sent off, and in verse 40, Paul is going to take Silas on his missionary trip from Antioch. So how, how was he sent off, but he's still here? <coughs> so he goes, oh, he, he decided to stay. Now, we're not going to take time to get into it. That creates a problem with verse before it where it says they were sent off. One of those is wrong. We don't have to do that because it says they stayed for quite a while. There's plenty of time for Silas to go and come back. But when you see these little things, it's not taking away. In fact, I would argue the opposite, that, that admonition and revelation also says those who add to the Word of God. So if we have evidence that that wasn't in the original, perhaps you're guilty of adding to the Word of God. Here's, here's the truth. No matter what, God is watching over His Word to perform it. God is watching over. He was watching over His Word when He sent this letter and these brothers to the Gentiles that they might have uh, connections one with another. Do you realize what would have happened if they hadn't had connections between the Gentile and the Jewish church? We wouldn't be here. There would have been none of that foundation of the apostles' teaching and that Gentile church would have sputtered out within a couple generations. We are the direct byproduct of this short letter that was sent. It may seem like, man, why is this a big deal? It's a huge deal because it defines the fact that you and I are here. Worship team, if you guys would come on up. I want to just close by pointing us to the fact that this passage should be a reminder to Christians, instructing us how we are to live in unity with other brothers. I, I told you earlier that these, these early Jewish Christians continued in these same traditions, continued in uh, many of the Jewish traditions that defined them for uh, 
centuries, for generations beforehand. So, one little word of advice. We don't have to be afraid in the church of religious tradition. Sometimes, as soon as we encounter religious tradition, we instantly want to put it up to dead, empty religion that's devoid of connection with God. Rather than that, we should constantly, we should be like Paul and Barnabas and these two brothers who came along, constantly pointing people towards faith in Christ. Put your hope and your trust in Christ. And maybe on the other side, for those of us who don't have quite as many uh, historical traditions in the church, we could do well with some things that anchor us in the solid tradition of God's Word. That we're not just moved by every flighty moment that comes along. Second thing I think we can pull from this passage of Scripture is that this church is not about you. It's not about your preferences. It's not about what you like. Uh, The thing that's demonstrated in this passage is that we are to defer to others. We are actually to prefer others, to serve them above ourselves. That should be good news because if it's all about me, then it's all about me and my own salvation, and I don't have the ability to earn my own salvation. I would like to. I, I have a good heart. At least I think I do. Like most of you. And yet most of us, if we took time and we were honest, could testify our hearts want one thing, but our sins are many. Our failings, our, our falling shorts are just so many, and yet Christ is given freely to those who don't earn it and can't deserve it. That's why every week we end the service by celebrating communion together. Reminding ourselves that our being joined one with another is because of what Christ has done. So I I think this is a beautiful passage to uh, point us to that in communion. For believers, come to the table. Come to the table with other believers who are vastly different from you, whose life story, whose interests are vastly different from you, but you are joined together in Christ. That's your unity. That's your connection one with another. Come and proclaim our shared reliance and hope in the saving power in Christ alone for our salvation. If you're an unbeliever, if you're not a Christian and you're here today, we are glad that you are here But rather than saying, come to the table, we would actually say, come to the Savior. Come to the one who chose you before the foundation of the world, who called your name, and yet has still given you a responsibility and obligation to respond to that call. Come to him today. Let's stand together.